Good morning and welcome. I hope you'll bear with me this morning, uh, kind of getting over this thing. And I've been doing pretty good, but this morning I feel like the devil's had a feather tickling my throat all morning. And uh, you know how that is. He, uh, he, he loves to distract from anything that God desires to do. Uh, we are looking at the epistle of Jude. Uh, this morning, and if you'll turn there, as we travel the road to Revelation, we'll be there soon enough, don't worry. And we like to look at, uh, this morning, the first seven verses. In Jude writing here, he says, Jude. Uh, who is a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent uh, to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, that though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their their own abode. Uh, He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Lord, as we come to this epistle today, Lord, we realize that these are timely issues. Lord, serious matters. And I pray that, Father, we might have insight. We realize, Lord, that the Scripture in many other places reminds us of these very matters, these very things. And, Lord, we believe that we are those whom these latter days, these last times have fallen upon. And, Lord, we have seen many Lord, fall away. Lord, we see how antagonistic, Lord, the culture has become. And Lord, help us, I pray, in our own way, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to contend for the faith. Give us wisdom, Lord. Lord, prod us, prompt us, 
Lord, help us to realize when we have opportunities to speak up, we wouldn't shrivel, shrink away. Lord, we need boldness. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're, we're up against things that in our own might, and our own power, there's no way, Lord, that we could ever, Lord, accomplish, Lord, anything, Lord, truly spiritual without your help. And Lord, as you have called us to live at such a time as this, we know also, Lord, that you will empower us, that you will strengthen us. You'll give us wisdom, Lord. Help us, we pray, as we have to deal with, Lord, these very issues, that uh, we wouldn't, Lord, overreact, that we wouldn't, Lord, become mean-spirited, but, Lord, we would be gracious, and, Lord, we would speak the truth in love. So help us, we pray, Father, to take this epistle of Jude and interpret it for our time, Lord, to, to apply the, the principles that we find here. Lord, help us, we pray, to, to truly to be faithful, to contend for the faith, to bring you honor and glory and praise. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Hold on, let me have one good cough before I start. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, we entitled our message this morning, Contending for the Faith, taking it really uh, right from the text. And uh, my comments on the introduction of this little epistle are going to be very brief as far as, you know, Jude, uh, the, who is the brother of James, the, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I think the serious nature of this particular epistle, uh, and that is namely the attacks against our faith, uh, our belief in God's word, and all the counterfeit stuff that we see going on and taking place in our society and our culture today, that we want to just sort of jump right into it. We want to we get into it and look at it. You know, somebody said this years ago. I forget who said it, but it's something, you know, sometimes there's things that are said. They just kind of resonate with you, and they stick with you over the years. And I don't know who in the world said this. Uh, or maybe perhaps where I read it, uh, but they said that it was interesting that the epistle Jude was placed right before the book of Revelation because the very issues that are presented in this little book of Jude would be the very issues that would close out the end of the age. And they would basically be the introduction, uh, basically, into the day of the Lord. Uh, and as I remember hearing that, I agree with that very strongly. Uh, I think the very issues that we see in this epistle here, as we do in others as well, are very critical and very important, uh, particularly at this particular time, uh, because we're right on the precipice, you know, uh, when you think about the Lord coming, and when you think about all that's going on, you know, geopolitically, um, you know, you wonder about this little crazy guy over in Korea, uh, if he's really going to have the nerve to kind of push the button, and... Uh, you know, world wars have been started over less. Uh, if you know your history, World War I was started uh, because um, uh, the king and the, the, the queen there of, uh, where was it? Uh, they were shot. 
Um, they, were, they were Austrians, weren't they? Were they Aust- yeah, they were Austrians. Um, Ferdinand, was it Ferdinand? Yeah, and uh, his wife was shot, um, murdered in uh, Sarajevo, and uh, that just triggered World War I. And of course we know also, too, that World War I was basically, World War II was a continuation of World War I. So when you think about how things can be triggered so, you know, so easily, you know, uh, I was thinking this week um, about a song that was sort of a key song back in the 1960s in the protest movement. Do you, do you ever remember the song Eve of Destruction by Barry Maguire? I can still see him singing that. I can still hear uh, his voice. And uh, he didn't write the song, but he really he, 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 he gave the song an interesting life. Uh, and here are some of the lyrics. Uh, the Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flare and bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? Even the Jordan River has bodies floating. But you tell me over and over again, my friend, ah, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. And I was kind of thinking, in a sense, it's sort of a prophetic song. Because here we are on the precipice, on the eve of the Lord's coming. But how many of even God's people don't really believe that it could be tomorrow? And the Bible clearly teaches us we're going to be caught unawares. That it's going to be a surprise event. Uh, You know, so the coming of the Lord is something very important that we see, that we're reminded of in this particular epistle. And when you think about the coming of the Lord, it has fallen to us, this generation. We are the closest generation to the day of the Lord. And yet I think that in many respects, we're probably in, in many ways sort of inoculated against believing that. And we need to be very careful. We need to believe the Bible in what the Bible says. And that's why we need to keep reading the Bible, because I think we get sort of inoculated by the world um, and the, the secularism, the, the, the culture around us is constantly encroaching, isn't it? It never stops. It never stops encroaching into our lives. And how we need to, in a sense, you know, because of our faith in, in the Lord, we need to push back. We need to push back by being faithful. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, interestingly here, Jude brings out, contending for the faith. You know, being faithful when God gives us an opportunity to speak the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, now, we're going to jump right into verse 3. Like I said, we're going to kind of leap over that introduction. And Jude has this pressing matter upon his heart because he sees the danger ahead for God's people. And he writes here, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and delivered uh, to the saints. You know, I think sometimes we, the church, I think we've become timid and and cautious and careful uh, and holding back when it comes to the gospel. And particularly, you know, we don't want to, I think we're afraid to look too aggressive. Um, And maybe perhaps we're afraid for people to say that, you know, we're, we're, you know, maybe a little radically religious and, we, and I think sometimes we're afraid of those kind of things because we've had all those epithets thrown at us. Um, and, and we hear those kind of sentiments and conversations about, you know, the wackos and that sort of thing. So I think sometimes we become kind of timid. We kind of, we kind of you know, we want to pull back. We don't want to be lumped in with that particular group. And I think we need to be very careful uh, because I think, in a sense, we take the fangs, the teeth, out of our gospel. And uh, our gospel has teeth. You know, the, the, the truth has teeth. The, the truth 
Uh, I, I've always said the truth is an equal opportunity offender. And uh, when we speak the truth, you know, I read, it offends me all the time. The Bible offends me all the time because it speaks and it cuts across the grain of my life. Uh, and it speaks to issues and things that, you know, um, that are not right in my life. And uh, so when we speak this to, to, to folks out there in the world, there's going to be conviction. You know, there, there's going to be, you know, the, 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 the Scripture says that the Bible's what? It's a sword. It's got a, it's got a sharp point. It's going to poke you. Um, and so that's what will happen when we speak the truth. So we need to be very careful that we don't hold back, that basically that we do speak out regarding the particular issues of our day. You know, when you think about some of the things that are, that are being uh, promoted and encouraged, um, I was thinking about just, you know, maybe 30 years ago, some of the things that are, that are, that are allowed today and, and encouraged by our culture and by our society. If you, would have, if you would have spoken about, you know, two men getting married, um, if, if the Supreme Court would have, would have approved that, if you would have been talking about that 30 years ago, uh, some of you said, you're out of your mind. You're out of your cotton-picking mind. You, 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 that would never happen. But look what's happened. And uh, it's kind of like the, the frog in the experiment, isn't it? Uh, you know, just, you, just before you know it, uh, things change so radically, so, so very, very quickly. And I think that we have opportunity today to address these issues when they come up in conversation. And don't be afraid. And that's where I think, you know, oftentimes we're, you know, we're afraid that someone's going to uh, think, you know, wrongly of us or whatever. Um, you know, when, when we are purveyors of the truth, because what we see being pushed out there is a lot of lies, a lot of deceit, a lot of corruption taking place in our culture and our society. But, you know, when we speak the truth, the truth has power. And, and we have to get beyond this thing. It doesn't matter what they think about us. It doesn't matter that we need to speak truth into the lives of people that are out there. That, that's the critical issue you know, of our time and of our day. And basically what he's telling us here, we need to contend for the faith in all of its particular assets. You know, whenever something I think comes up in a conversation that uh, would be relative to a Bible topic or subject or whatever. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think we need to be kind of creative about this. I think we need to think about it and pray about it. That, that, Lord, when something comes up in a conversation, help me to interject. You know, and again, we don't have to, we don't have to speak over people. Um, we don't have to be rude. Uh, but I think that we need to be able to interject into a conversation, you know, certain spiritual truths and principles you know, to get somebody to think um, and, and just maybe interject something and see where it goes. Uh, if, uh, if it doesn't go anywhere, well, fine. But to give people an opportunity, uh, you know, to hear truth uh, as far as, you know, and I think sometimes, a, a lot of times, that, that people really don't know what we think about the Bible. They really don't know, and, and that's why sometimes I, I'm, I find it very interesting what, what the, you know, the, the, what the culture, you know, thinks about you know, the, the, the Bible and, and biblical people. And, uh, you know, they call us haters because, um, you know, that we, uh, are, are, we don't believe in the things that they believe in. But I think they're shocked to find out the things that, that we do believe in that are in their Bible, that are actually in the Bible. They've been written for thousands of years. There are principles that God has given for all cultures and all societies. And I think it's just like, you know, it's just sort of like, uh, it's a shock to them. 
when they begin to hear that, you, know, you, you, you mean that that's something that's, you know, that's been a principle, a biblical principle? Um, and, and it certainly has when we think about many of the things that we have to address and, have to, and, and, and speak about. But if, we, but if we don't speak about it in our little particular circle, in our particular situation, people are going to be simply ignorant. And uh, you know, I think one of the best ways, because I think sometimes also we may be a little bit afraid to engage people or debate people because we feel like, well, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know a whole lot about this subject. But you know what? When we put ourselves out there by faith, uh, it's amazing what, the, you know, what Scripture the Holy Spirit can give us. And also, too, it helps us to be better students. You know, when I get into a situation where I don't know, uh, you know, a, a, a relative to a certain topic or, or a subject, it, it makes me dive into the Scriptures. And, and that's what we need to do. We need to be not holding back. I don't really know that much, so uh, I, I'm afraid that... Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, there are people that can really, um, you know, they can, they can embarrass you. Um, they can be very bold and powerful in their presentation of, of their position. Uh, but but never, nevertheless, I think we need to be just faithful you know, to speak the truth in love and watch what God does, you know, with that as we do it. Now, the word contend here is interesting because it means to agonize. In other words, to struggle to fight uh, for truth. Now, we can contend, and it's important, I think this is a very important principle that, you know, interesting too also that, that Paul says in another place uh, relative to prayer that we need to agonize in prayer. But also, too, in this whole matter of communicating to our culture, speaking truth to our culture, that we can contend without being contentious. I think it's an important point. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we we're up against contentiousness. Uh, I think we're, uh, what we have discovered um, in our society is everything is tolerated except our point of view. And, you know, you get angry about that sometimes. You know, there, there, there's a lot of angst about that, that we're marginalized, we're stifled, we're shouted down. And, uh, and I think we need to be careful that we don't rise to that occasion uh, in a contentious manner. We can contend, you know, for the faith without being contentious people. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, verse 4 uh, he's sitting, now, what he's saying here is this is why we contend, you know, for the truth. You know, e- evil is interesting because it always works in the dark. Evil always works under the radar, undetected, except for God's watchmen. And that's why, you know, one of the things that, that I have um, remarked um, to our leadership and to, to other uh, Christian leaders, as I have looked at one of the one of the deficits in this generation of new Christians, and that is a lack of discernment. We need discernment. We need discernment, and one of the ways that you get discernment is being in the Word of God. And getting closer to the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit active in our lives. We need him working in our lives. We need to be able to detect. 
and discern the things that are coming down the road without being, as, as a pastor over the years, it, it's been amazing to me as I've watched people, you know, just jump on the bandwagon of, of some particular trendy new teaching that comes through without really testing it, without really examining it, without really putting it, against, putting it up against the grid of Scripture. That's why God's given us a Bible. And a lot of times uh, these, these you know, trendy you know, philosophies and, and new winds of doctrine that come down, uh, they appeal to people. They, they, appeal to, they appeal to our humanity. They appeal to the flesh. And so people just embrace these kind of things because maybe it seemed like it came through the right source. And that's why even Paul said to the Bereans how important it was that, that you know, they measured what he said against what they knew in Scripture. So we really need to be biblical people. We need to be into the Word of God. We need, we need a, a greater degree of discernment in our lives. For he says, certain men you know, have crept in unnoticed long ago who were marked out by this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness, and even to the point where they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever notice how evil things have a way of creeping into your life? E- evil things have that kind of way, that they just kind of creep very slowly sometimes, imperceptibly, to get into your life, to get into your thinking. And sometimes these things, can, they, they usually do come through ungodly people, ungodly sources. And some of these may even be people who have professed Christ. But we need to be very careful. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of your heart and your mind, will become the very issues of life. You know, the very things that you know that we think we become. I was hearing a pastor on the radio speak to that effect yesterday. The very things that we think, they are the things that we become. Uh, And it's very important that what you allow to kind of subtly and sometimes imperceptibly creep into your life. And sometimes I think, you know, when you and I face these kinds of temptations that we see out there in our culture, I think sometimes we think that, you know, I know this may, be not, this may not be right, but uh, I think I can manage that. You ever say that about something? And then you find out, before you know it, that thing has taken root in your life, kind of controlling your thinking, taking over. I remember, I remember thinking that uh, I can still see myself stealing a pack of my parents' cigarettes out of their carton and saying, you know, I think I want to become a smoker. And there's no way those little white sticks are going to control me. And if any of you ever smoked, you know what it's like to get that monkey off your back. It's one of the most powerful addictions. It, it, it really is. Be careful that little things that you allow to creep into your life go so subtle they can coil themselves around you 
and destroy you. Now, this word lewdness is interesting because it means to be open to all types of sexual expression. Is that our culture? Did you see the news this week? The grandfather of pornography passed away, Hugh Hefner. And when I watch the news, I kind of surf. And they all carried it. All the networks made sure that they had an article um, about uh, Hugh Hefner. Oh, how they praised him. Such a pioneer. And they had some clips from his interviews and things of that particular nature. And here's one of his quotes. He says, in my wildest dreams, I could not have imagined a better life. I've always wondered, as I've listened to some of the quotes of ungodly men, that what would they say after they died? If they had an opportunity to be interviewed, what would they say then? Uh, the, the, the commentator that I was listening to uh, was, was Anthony Mason on CBS News. And he ended with this quote. He said, well, we hope he is in a better place. But I'm not sure that's possible. I thought that was an interesting statement by a, a news commentator. You know, Jesus sets us free, but not to that kind of freedom. You ever notice how, and you know, we prize our freedom in America, well, I think more than any other, anyone else. We're always, you know, pushing the envelope for more freedom. But you know, total freedom can destroy you. Total freedom can destroy your life. Because you're free to make decisions that can bring you into bondage. We need the freedom that God gives. Freedom of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is referred to as a what? Restrainer. He's the governor on our lives. He's a restrainer. Oh, when he prompts you to not do something, don't press on. Obey. Submit. Surrender. He knows. He has perfect wisdom. He knows where a choice, a decision can lead us. Because that's the only way we'll stay free. Because every one of us at one time or another, every one of us sitting here, everyone here this morning, every one of us at one time or another, we were in some form of bondage. And Jesus came into our life. And he set us free. He wants us to stay free. And that freedom 
is within the parameters of His truth. As we obey His truth, as we obey the Spirit in leading us and guiding us. Now in verse 5, <clears throat> He said, I want to remind you of this, though you once knew it, uh, that the Lord, having saved the people uh, out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And so in, in three events here, he gives us a reminders of past history. You know, one philosopher once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And how true that is. How, how generations and societies forget what former generations learned. That's why when you look at so many nations in history, they're just in the dustbin because they didn't learn the lessons of their former societies and for, from their forefathers. And so when we look at the Bible, we can, we can see their lessons for life. When we look at the, when we look at the Jews of old, they're no, we're no different than them. Uh, the only difference that, from them and us is that we have more help. You know, God's given us a, you know, a, a Bible. God's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us, he's given us you know, in, in, internal power. We have so much more than they had. But it's important as we look at you know, the lessons that they learned, that we're learning these same lessons to a certain degree, aren't we? Now, what he's showing here in verse 5 particularly is how destructive unbelief is. You know, two million people came out of Egypt. How many went into the promised land? Two. Interesting odds, huh? One in a million. One in a million. Believed God. Lived for God. That's why I'm so th thankful for the Bible as I keep finding myself inspired by it over and over and over again. They're words of life. When we come to the Bible in faith each and every day, oh, be careful that it doesn't just become a drudge and a routine for you. It can happen. But to come by faith to the, to the Bible every day and say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. Lord, I need your truth today. I need a word today. I need your guidance today, Lord. I believe that when we come to the Bible by faith, God will speak to us. And I'll tell you what, we need a word every day. Because we're going to get bombarded as we go through the course of each and every day, aren't we? I'm bombarded by unbelief and temptation. And just the worldly mindset that's around us, the culture. We need a word. Now here's warning number two in verse six. And I call this as simply, the grass is greener on the other side. Seems like that, doesn't it? Doesn't so often seem like our lot in life is like, oh my goodness. Everybody else got a better life than me. He says, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, he's probably referring here to Genesis 6, and we're not going to get into that debate. 
But the angels who did not keep <coughs> their, excuse me, their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains in their darkness for the judgment of the great day. You see, these angelic beings who were created perfect, had great privilege, privilege living daily in the presence of God. They became proud and they rejected God's authority. And they also rejected God's boundaries for their lives. You know, God has a boundary for your life. God has made a certain place for you and for me. And it's very important that we stay in that place. You know, the human heart has a wanderlust, doesn't it? Every time I hear this song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It always resonates with me. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Oh, there's just, there, there's, I can't speak for you, but I know it's a human condition. My heart wanders so easily. And I find the Holy Spirit, oh, our faithful God, sending out the hounds of heaven, reining us in, closing doors, sometimes kicking us in the fanny, saying, get back to where you belong. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your favor, your mercy, your kindness, your grace. I was like that as a kid. I, and my parents, I mean, they love me, but they're always busy with their things. And I was a wandering kid. I was just a wandering kid, even as a little kid, wandering all over the place. But I'm so thankful Jesus found me. Pulled me into his flock. Said, now you stay there, boy. You know, when you, uh, if you ever read uh, Philip Keller, some of his writings, uh, Shepherd looks at Psalm 23 and other writings as well by Keller. As a shepherd, he shares some interesting insights, you know, things that he had to do, you know, to keep the sheep from wandering. That, that was a big problem. Sheep just love to wander. Uh, but there are wolves out there. there, there there's, there's all kinds of dangers out there and in, in, in the things that uh, he would do. And uh, I spoke about one time breaking the leg of one of his sheep to keep it from wandering. And... Uh, and it just kind of re reminds us, you know, the, the love of our Heavenly Father sometimes. He has to bring sometimes His breakings, you know, into our lives you know, to, 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 to keep us in line. He knows our heart. He knows our, our proneness to, to, to wander away from Him. And so He works in a wonderful and a special way to protect us and to keep us. And again, I think, you know, I think His, his point here is that, you know, we're going to face, I think, many different temptations 
to walk away or to leave the place that God has appointed for us. I'm amazed sometimes how quickly people give up their ministry. They just give it up. Oh, I'm tired. I mean, it's a privilege. It is a privilege. It's an honor to serve him. Be careful when you're tempted to do that. Be careful that you don't move away from that, that spiritual place that, that God has for you. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I first came into the senior pastorate, I think I wanted to quit at least once a week. And it wasn't because of any difficulty from God's people. That, that was not the problem whatsoever. It was all the, in, in the struggles that I was having within my own heart, within my own life. And I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness. And it seemed to be always at the, just the right time, you know, Pastor Bill would call or something like that and, you know, have that word of encouragement or, you know, somebody, you know, somebody in the body. I believe that there's a place where God's appointed for us. We need to stay put. Stay where God wants us to be. That's where... That's where the fruit's going to be. That's where the blessing is going to be. Doesn't mean we can't move from here to there under the direction of God. But I think sometimes it's too easy for us to, uh, to move out of that place that he has for us. Now, example number, number three, uh, we find comes out of Genesis 19. And I think that this could not be more relevant and timely for our day when he says here, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, in our societal defense of homosexual behavior and lifestyle, I think our political leaders and, and our cultural icons have placed us in the crosshairs of divine judgment once again. And I say once again, when we throw, throw uh, prayer out of public school, you know, when we uh, cast off the restraints, per, you know, that we're protecting the unborn. And, and once again, as, as we try to defend certain, you know, perverse behaviors. That the nation has been put in the crosshairs of divine judgment. And I'll tell you, that's why I worry about that crazy little guy in Korea. He may be the instrument that may, may get America's attention. Hopefully not. But this nation is on the precipice of judgment. Let 
more dangerous than any hurricane. We need to be careful that we don't delude ourselves in thinking God would never let that happen to America. Isn't that what the Jews said of old about their nation? God's displeasure of sexual sin has brought his wrath upon many nations in history. And our politicians and everybody else may tell us that, well, you know, well, well finally we're liberated. We're not liberated at all. It grieves and it breaks the heart of God. Some people might ask this question. You know, how can a society or, or even a person blessed of God degenerate so thoroughly and come to this place where God has to judge? Turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. Here's the pattern. This is the blueprint. Ezekiel was speaking here to Judah, to Jerusalem, and telling them that they're actually more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says in verse uh, 49, and this was the pattern for Sodom and Gomorrah and for any nation that would move in this direction. He says, now look, this was the sin or the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. You know, pride is simply this, independent of God, being independent. I'm sure they gave God lip service. But actually independent. Well, we don't need you, God, uh, maybe once in a while, but we're okay. We can work this out. Also, Sodom had fullness of bread, the material wealth. Kind of like the, the church of Laodicea. We're, we're rich and increased with goods. We have need of nothing. They didn't, they didn't need God. Remember in Deuteronomy, God warned his people for the future that when you, when, you, you, when you come to a place in the future when I've blessed you, and you're materially wealthy, be careful that you don't say, oh, my hand has done this. She also had abundance of idleness. Too much free time. One sure way to get in trouble. Too much free time. We know that. That, that, that's, that's just a principle that everybody knows. And that's why, folks, you know what? We need to be busy for God. 
Be, be careful that you don't feel after you've done your responsibilities that all that free time is yours to do with whatever you want. It is not. We will stand one day before the Lord and give an account of our time. If we have, a gift, if we have to give an account of every word, we will give an account of our time. We need to start using some of our time for God. Be careful you don't get caught in the trap of sitting in front of some video screen for one-third of your life. We already spend one-third of our life sleeping. We already lost one-third. We need to be good stewards over our time. The Bible says what? Redeem the time. So many times when I find myself wanting to turn on that TV, the Holy Spirit just whispering, ah, get out of there. Open your Bible. Neither did, <coughs> excuse me, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. In other words, they were selfish and stingy and hoarding things. You know, the gospel is about giving. We have a generous giving God. God so loved the world that he gave. He wants us to be giving people. I think it would be a curse to die and to leave all your holdings behind you when you could have sent them before you. You could have transferred over that wealth. That's the inter interesting thing. That, that the wealth that we're stewards over what God has given us, that as we invest it into his kingdom, that is the best investment that you can make. Is investing in God's kingdom. Because you don't know you'll be alive next week. Neither do I. In an event this week, I thought I had a heart attack. So much so, I called my cardiologist. He said, you get right into the emergency. And as I'm going through this whole thing, it's interesting how you begin to think a little differently about your life. Well, it wasn't a heart attack, but it was an attention getter. Your life is but a vapor. You're a steward. God has given to you much. We need to use it for the glory of God, for the glory of his kingdom. Sodomites, selfish people. Didn't care about the poor and the needy. Simply living for themselves.
That was the pattern that we see there in Sodom. Turn to Second Peter. This is our final verses here. Second uh, Peter, sort of a parallel uh, passage to Jude. He said, for if God did not spare the angels, verse 4 of chapter 2, 2 Peter, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. You know, when you think about the, the angels only had one opportunity. And when they sinned, that was it. And when you think about how they must view the grace that we have, to be forgiven over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Must blow their minds. Amen. Yeah, it does blow our mind because sometimes we sin to certain degrees where we think, will the Lord forgive me again? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. He's gracious. Seventy times seven. He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world on the world of the ungodly and turning the uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes to condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Oh, may we be tormented to pray. May we be touched by the condition of things around us. Touch with care. That we wouldn't get inoculated with it. Oh God, help us. Help us not to be inoculated. And just to become and to start thinking, to become indifferent, apathetic to what's going on in our world today. And then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the judgment day. Well, that's certainly true of the rapture, but it's also true of his delivering power, isn't it? He's a delivering God. Maybe as we think about consider some of these things, maybe perhaps today, you're feeling, I need help. Maybe you feel yourself being pulled away by the cultural tug. It's very strong. It's a strong current. When you jump into that current, boy, it can sweep you away. In closing, how can we contend for the faith today? First of all, we can pray. 
We need to be praying, people. Are you in a prayer meeting? Something about a prayer meeting with others is encouraging us to pray. That, that's true of me, just as it is, as I think, of anyone. We, we need that extra encouragement in the ministry of prayer. I know we all pray, but there's something inspirational that when we come together, find yourself a prayer meeting, get involved with prayer. You know, we, we do, first of all, our fighting where? On our knees. And I think many battles can be lost because of what? A lack of prayer. Secondly, pick up your sword, your Bible. That's what's going to get you encouraged and inspired. The Word of God is so vital, so important, because why? The truth is a mighty weapon. Remember, Jesus used the Word of God when he faced off with the devil. And we, too, we need the Word of God to inspire us. Again, we need to maybe perhaps get our eyes, you know, off of that video screen and begin to get into a regular, regimented, you know, study. Uh, perhaps get a calendar. Maybe your Bible has a calendar in it uh, where, you're, where you're going through the Bible each and every day. You'll be surprised how wonderfully inspirational that will be for you. And thirdly, we need Holy Spirit power. As I look back at my walk with the Lord, there have been times where I've just simply forgot about Holy Spirit power. You know, Jesus said, and he's really referring in a sense of the Holy Spirit, without me, you can do nothing. And yet with him, we're more than conquerors. He always leads us in triumph. The Holy Spirit will empower you and me to accomplish, as Jeremiah chapter 33 says. He says, he says, ask of me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. Good intentions will not do it. but God's Holy Spirit. And you know what, folks? It's holy power. It's power that comes from holiness. Zechariah said, chapter 4, not by might, not by power, the power of man, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. If you want holy power, will you please stand? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you today. We are grateful, Father, for your mercies. We thank you for the cross. Your cross has made our redemption possible. And you're rising from the grave. It's given us power. Lord, we stand before you as your children. And Lord, we realize what could we ever, we, the church would never survive 
without the keeping power of the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, Lord, we're weak, puny. Way too timid and fearful. But Father, it's only with you and by your Spirit. Can we ever accomplish the communicating of your truth to our culture? Lord, we see in many places today that truth is on the ropes. Help us, I pray, to contend for the faith. Help us, I pray, to rise up, to stand for truth. Lord, to be a light in our own particular circles. Lord, you have, you have lit our lives. You've changed our hearts. Lord, you've set us free. I pray, Father, for anyone this morning, Lord, who may be trapped in that current, the current of the world. I ask you, Lord, to empower them to make choices and decisions that would be in agreement with your, with your truth and with your word. Lord, we look to you. You are the deliverer. And we ask you, Lord, anywhere, Lord, our lives are in bondage. Lord, we want that beautiful and blessed freedom, that glorious freedom that comes from knowing you, loving you, walking with you. Lord, I pray you go with us. Open our eyes, I pray, to every opportunity to make a difference for you. Lord, I was reminded of a verse in Revelation this week and how so true it is. And I thank you for the reminder of it, Lord, because I have forgotten it. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Lord, help us, we pray, to speak about you. Lord, that's prophesying, to speak about our Lord, our Savior. And we all have a testimony, Lord, of what you've done in our lives. Oh, God, I pray, inspire us, Lord. Inspire us to go forth. Communicate that, Lord, to those who are dying, those who need Christ. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.